In the first year of World War II, at least the United States' engagement, the Japanese took the island of the Philippines, which was a U.S. possession at the time, and so there were plenty of soldiers on that island, and the Japanese took that island over, imprisoned the whatever American prisoners they could uh, take, and as the Japanese were moving across that island, uh, uh, General MacArthur, Douglas MacArthur, who was retired from the military at the time, paid as a civilian advisor, uh, to the U.S. government to advise on the Philippines. And uh, they reactivated him, put him back in his position, a general, and he had to flee the Philippines in defeat. And he had to say to the Filipinos that he loved, I shall return. But he left in defeat. Everybody wished he would return but nobody really had much confidence at that moment. You know, there's, there's times when it just doesn't look like God's going to keep his promises and return again. But two years later, Douglas MacArthur did return again. And when he waded ashore, he made this statement broadcast on the radio for all the Filipinos that listen, we're listening on the radio. He said, people of the Philippines... I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil. He had returned. Do you believe Jesus just might return again? He left in what looked like defeat, but he wasn't defeated. He stepped into his glory. And when he comes back again, and he surely will, I don't know when it is, but I've learned to stay ready because it could be any minute. So what we're doing is we're looking at what the Bible, what the New Testament, mostly the New Testament, has to say about his return. And if you've been watching the news lately, you know that it sure does look like things are winding down. It sure does look like things are coming to an end. That when, when man has finally... Uh, uh, exasperated himself, that when we on this earth have finally tried our best, spent all the money we could to make this world a better place, we see that we haven't got much further than when we started. On, we need a redeemer. Yes. And Jesus is going to come back again to redeem. So I looked through the New Testament. This is part three of our series. And I read through those prophetic scriptures, what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. And I was specifically looking for what we should do. What should we do? He gives us plenty of signs, but what should be our response to that? So I've got five of those I want to share this morning. Um, this, is the, this will conclude our series on end times action steps. Here's action step number one. We should stay faithful and wise. Faithful and wise. And wise, two different things, but we're supposed to be faithful and wise. I'm getting this from Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 and 46, where Jesus is telling a parable. And he says, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give, him, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. What should we do if Jesus is going to come back? If he could come back at any time, maybe this afternoon, what should we be doing this afternoon? We should be staying faithful 
and wise. Now, a couple uh, key phrases in, the, in what I just read I want to point out to us to help us understand the impact. The first one is he says, he's the servant whom the master made ruler over his household. It's the master's household. He's made us servants to be rulers. I'm supposed to be a ruler. I'm supposed to take dominion over this place. How are you doing at that? I'm supposed to take charge over the master's household. To feed them. Did you catch that? We're supposed to be feeding one another. A lot of us Christians, the vast majority of Christians, are just waiting to be fed. I got to go to another church because I'm not getting fed. Hello. There's a difference between somebody putting a plate of food in front of you and you eating it. He has empowered us. He's given us this power, this ability to be rulers over this planet. We're not victims, church. We're to be rulers over the Lord's household. Here's the second phrase. When he comes, there's going to be an accountability. When he comes back again, there's going to be an accounting. And all of us are going to have to stand before him. Christians stand before Jesus. People who have not become Christians are going to stand before God Almighty without a representative, without a redeemer, without a sacrificial substitute. I don't want to be in that place, do you? So I need to stay faithful and wise because there's an accounting coming. And what's the accounting going to be looking at according to this scripture? Faithfulness and wisdom. That's what he's going to judge us on. Were we faithful? Were we wise? So what's a faithful servant? It's one who doesn't represent himself or herself, but represents the master. That's what a faithful servant is. A faithful servant doesn't get up this ladder of success. A faithful servant stays humble. A faithful servant stays faithful, follows through with what they begin. That's faithful. And then wisdom. What's a wise servant? Wise. What, what, how does wisdom play out anyway? Wisdom is when you have to make a decision. And you have to weigh out all the factors. And then make a wise decision. What are some of the factors we have to weigh out? Well, rules are one thing. I had to make a decision this morning. Am I going to go to church? And if I go to church, am I going to go to the 9.30 service? Or am I going to go to the 11 o'clock service? Or am I going to go to church online? And if I go to church online, am I going to watch the 9.30 service? Or am I going to watch the 11 o'clock service? Decisions, decisions, decisions. We all had to make those decisions this morning, you know. And, of course, the other option is maybe I'll just watch TV. Good preachers on TV. That way I won't have to be accountable to anybody. I won't have to interact with anybody. And just be a, my lone ranger Christian. Decisions. Rules. What are the rules? 
Be faithful in God's house. That's one of the rules right there. How can you encourage and motivate other people to be faithful if you're not a living, living example of that? So there are rules. There are social rules. There are economic rules. Everything in life has rules. So we weigh out all the rules when we make a decision. Here's the second thing we weigh out. Risk. Everything has risk. Today in America, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. That tells me getting married is a risk. 50%. But then there's times when you meet somebody and you say, she is worth the risk. You're worth the risk, honey. So far been a good gamble. <laughs> we have to weigh out the rules. We have to weigh out the risk. And then we have to weigh out what's right. What's the right thing to do? This is going to cost me, but it's the right thing. Then it's not really going to cost me. I'm making an investment in righteousness. I do the right thing even though it costs me a little bit. Sometimes we have to do the righteous thing. We have to weigh that out. That's wisdom. When we weigh out the rules, we weigh out the risk, we weigh out what's right, that's making a wise decision. There's another phrase, though, he used here I want to point out. He says, who then is a faithful and wise servant? Who? Who? He's asking a question. It's an open-ended question. Do we see this? It's open-ended. You get to fill in the blanks. My grandkids love this. We've got this book at home where you get to choose the characters and you get to choose the, the objects. And so they want, they want to live in a what? And you've got like six different options and you get to pull one of these out and put it in a tab over there. They get to make up their own story. And of course, they always, they always pick the stupidest choice, you know, and then they laugh about it. You know what I'm talking about. They get to write the end of the story. You get to write your story. Who, who is a faithful and wise servant? You get to pick it. You get to choose it. It's a personal decision. You get to choose what you're going to do with the rest of your life. You get to choose what's going to happen to you when Jesus comes back. Come on. Stay faithful and stay wise. Okay, here, I got five of these, so I got to move on. Here's number two. Stand firm. Stand firm. We live in a world that's like quicksand. You know, the proper thing to do is this. A decade later, the proper thing to do is that. Culture's changing. The economy is changing. The healthcare standards are changing. Everything is changing around us. And those of us that are older in this room don't like it one bit because we'd like it the way it was. And we want to go back to the good old days, not going to happen. God is moving us ahead. And if us older folks don't embrace the younger generation and the new ideas that are coming along, I'm not saying immoral ideas, but they're going to come up with some new creative strategies on how to win the lost. And us old folks are going to sit around and scratch our heads and say, well, it never worked for me. But it'll work. For a young generation, we need to embrace the fresh air that's coming into the church. Amen? 
stand firm. Luke chapter 21, verses 16 through 19. He says, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. we got to stand firm, church. If we believe that we're in the last days, if we believe that we're seeing the, the ends of God, the, the beginning of God wrapping this all up, if we believe that we're seeing that, then we need to stand firm. Which means, based on what he just said, don't let hate intimidate you. Human, it's human nature to think our kind is better than their kind. Our kind deserves special favors more than their kind. It's human nature. But God's called us to become supernatural beings. He wants to put his thoughts, his mind, the way he thinks inside of us. He wants us to be different than the rest of the world that joins itself into hate groups and posts things out there that's loaded with hate and prejudice. And we're better than you. God expects better than that of his people. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We need to not be caught up in politics. We need to not be caught up in, in, in what is, um, there's a term I'm looking for, politically correct. Come on. We need to be righteous people. Yes. We need to represent Jesus Christ in a dark world. Don't let hate intimidate you and make you back down and let, make you cower and give up on your ideas. Here's, here's the second thing we learned from that. God's got you covered. Yes. Not one hair of your head is going to perish. How in the world God keeps track of how many hairs are in my head, I have no idea. Because looking at the shower every morning, it seems to be changing every day. That doesn't mean the world system, certain individuals, isn't going to cause us some real serious damage. But listen, if we keep our eyes off of our stuff and keep our eyes on eternity, not one hair of your head will perish. Not one person gets persecuted out of heaven. If anything, it gets us there all the quicker. So we need to keep our eyes on the goal. God's got you covered. And then I noticed this. I never saw this before until I was putting this message together and I was breaking it down and thinking it through. Life is a choice. It really is. Life is a choice. He said right there, stand firm and you will win life. Stand firm and you'll win it. It's a choice. I can choose to stand firm or I can choose to give in to every wind of doctrine that comes along. It seems to be a better idea. I need to stand firm on the word yes. on what God says. That's number two, stand firm. Let's go to number three. Grow in grace. You understand what grow means? You cannot grow and stay the same. Grow in grace. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard 
so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You've been forewarned. He told us it's coming. Jesus is coming back again. Since we've been forewarned, we need to stay awake. We need to stay alert. We need to look around us. Look at the signs that we're seeing all around us. And he says three things here in this, these verses I want to point out. He says, guard against lawlessness. And I don't think he's talking about going out and rioting, burning down your own town, thinking you're going to make things better. Uh, I don't think he's talking about that. When he's talking about lawlessness, I think he's thinking that we have, we have enough grace that we've cast off all the rules, all the laws, anything that, that's a, a, a rule or a regulation, we're going to throw the whole thing out because it's all by grace. There's some responsibility that comes with grace, remember. So guard against lawlessness. Here's the second thing they learned. Don't lose your secure position. What is, what is the security that a Christian has? That we're sinners. We've sinned in the past and we will sin again because we're sinners. But God loved us enough. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to pay the price for my sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus paid the death penalty as my substitute on my behalf. My sin has been paid for because Jesus died for me. Now I can live. Am I going to do it again? Probably. I don't want to. But I know me. I've stuck my foot in my mouth enough that I know I will probably do that again. I don't want to, but my security is in him, not in me. You see the difference? If my security is me, I've turned over a new leaf, I've got it all together now, and then I mess up, then that, that my security is gone. But my security is in Jesus and what he did. You follow me? Come on. This is good news. Don't lose your secure position by going back into legalism. This is the, it's the default position for Christians to go back into legalism. We can't do that. We have to grow in grace. And the way we grow in it is to cultivate. We've got to dig up the soil around it. We've got to pull up the weeds. Pour on the water. That's how you get something to grow. When you have a drought, things don't grow too good. Have you noticed? When there's more water on it, it begins to grow. That's why you need to be in church. Whether it's online, those of you that are watching online, I'm glad you are. Or whether it's here in the house. Here's number four. Live holy and godly lives. Did you know the Bible tells us to do that? What does holy mean? It means set apart for a holy purpose. Set it apart. Holy. Godly means to live 
like you think God would do it if he were down here. And how would you know what God would do if he were down here? You look at Jesus. That's his son. That's how you know what God would do if he were down here. And Jesus was always expending himself for others. Where's, where's the church that is constantly giving out for the cause of others? Helping other people become better. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything, you'll, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed his coming. Did you know you could speed its coming? The second coming, you can speed it along. We'll talk about that in a minute. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Here's the first thing I want us to see. Hold all your possessions loosely. Stop and think about it. What would happen if those wildfires out there in California and Portland spread clear across the country and got here to northeast Indiana and swept through the neighborhoods and burned your house to the ground? You got out, but everything, every one of your possessions got destroyed. What would you weep about the most? For me, it'd probably be a lifetime's collection of family history memorabilia. I, that, that would break my heart. Family pictures. That would be devastating. I have insurance, so I wouldn't lose everything. But those things are irreplaceable. What do you hold as your possession that you cherish and what would be the result if you lost it? If that has become your idol, your God, you would probably want to put a gun to your head and end it all because you've lost it all. But if your personal relationship is with Jesus Christ, you know everything you have down here is on loan from him. Everything is on loan from him. And he wants to please us, so he gives us these blessings, things that we can cherish and store in our attic, in our, our closet, in our safe, in our precious place. But the most important thing is your home up there. Amen. Where rust can't corrupt, moths can't eat away at it, and thieves can't break in and steal it. That's your security. Here's the second thing from that scripture. Don't lose sight of eternity. Always understand, you are temporary down here. Your life is only going to go maybe 80 years. 82 maybe. Few people make it to 100. Not very many. And they can't hardly get around. So who wants to be 100? If you can't live your life out, can't have it fulfilled, don't lose sight of eternity. And the third thing is speed the Lord's return. We can speed his return. Now, how can we do that? How can we speed the Lord's return? Well, you can't speed his, the Lord's return by going out and doing all kinds of political things 
so that the signs of the end times won't materialize, won't be real. Jesus told us this not so we would stop it. Jesus told us this so we would recognize it. So we would see the signs of the time. These things are going to happen with or without your help, with or without your hindrance. So hindering them isn't, isn't the thing. How can I speed up the Lord's return? Here's how I do it. I understand that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's his will. He's not willing that any perish. Why hasn't he come back yet? Because he's not willing that any perish. So let's get out there and save those people. Let's get those people into the kingdom. Let's get them born again, filled with the Spirit. And when the last one finally comes in, Jesus comes back. We should be loving the Lord's appearing, not afraid of it. I'm excited. He might come back in my lifetime. I said that when I was a new Christian in my 20s. I'm convinced Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. Here I am toward the end of my life. He hasn't come back yet. Does that mean he's not coming back? No, no, no. That means we're a little closer. That's right. A little closer. It's a lack of faith that wants to hinder these signs. So let's be people of faith. Okay, four, four and a half minutes here. I got to do number five. Prophesy. This is what we're told to do. Listen, Joel, I'm reading from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, which is repeated. Peter said this on the day of Pentecost. Uh, and I'm quoting now. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Prophesy. This is what's going to happen in the last days. People are going to be prophesying. They're going to dream dreams that God gave them. They're going to see visions that God gives them. They're going to be speaking out the truth of what God wants to say in these last days. We get confused with this term prophecy because we think prophecy has to do with end time events, predicting the future. But a pro- prophesying is speaking out God's word. That's what it is. So I wonder what God might want to say to you. I wonder that because I really want to hear what God would want to say to you. And if God would whisper in my ear what he would want to say to you, I want to go and say it. That is prophecy. That's God's word speaking. When the, when the day of Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit fell on those 120 disciples, they all began speaking in a language they didn't understand. They went out into the streets and they all prophesied. All prophesied. So don't tell me only a few people have the gift of prophecy and others don't. They all prophesied. What we've got going on is a church that's afraid. We've lost our confidence. We've lost our security. We don't really think God speaks to people like us. But he does. I don't know how many times I've said some, something in passing. I didn't think about it. I didn't think God had a word for somebody. But I just said something in passing that was encouraging. And then that person would call me up the next week and say, Pastor Deal, you know what... 
I understood when I got home what you said. I understood that, that God was telling me to do something. It wasn't me. I didn't intend on that. But I realized the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and lives inside of you. And all I have to do is be my natural self. All I have to do is do what God prompts me to do, and I'm prophesying. It's not some big mystical hocus-pocus thing. It's just living the faith. So, three things I want to say about this. Number one, the Holy Spirit will be poured out. That was the prediction. Poured out. And Peter said, this, this was that. Holy Spirit being poured out. So I thought, maybe there's some significance to that word poured. You know, there's a difference between shower and a pour. I wanted to know what that was. So I, I looked that word up. And you know where it's, that's the same word used in the Old Testament in the Mosaic Law where God said, where God told people to sacrifice their, their offerings, they're to bring in their lambs, their bulls, they're to cut his throat, drain the blood out, they're to put the, the animal on a fire to roast it, but he's, and then they're to eat what was sacrificed. But the blood, he said, in four places in the Mosaic Law, four places, he says, do not drink the blood, but pour it out on the ground. That's the same verb, pour it out. What do you, what do you picture in your mind when you're pouring blood out on the ground? That's the same word picture he's giving us. The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. I call that revival. It's a revival. When the Holy Spirit is just poured out on the earth, not just a sprinkle here and a sprinkle there, but poured out. That's what I'm praying for. That's a sign of the end times. That's what's going to happen. And you and I can be a part of that. Here's the second thing I want us to see. It's going to be on your sons and daughters. Who are the sons and daughters? That's the next generation. Your sons and daughters are the next generation. The sons and daughters typically aren't doing it, but they're going to be doing it. It's a prediction. In the last days, there's going to come a young generation that's going to rise up, and they're going to, they're, they're going, there's going to be a unique movement upon the young people, and it won't be something that's comfortable for us old fogies. It's going to be something new and fresh, and I can't wait for it. I am not going to be jumping up and saying, Oh, no, we got to go back to the good old kinds of music. I'm going to encourage it. I want to encourage it. If it brings people to Jesus, hallelujah. Who am I to judge it? And here's the third thing. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit. Servants, that's the key. Who's he going to pour it out on? People that want to serve. People that want to do something. People that don't just want to watch, be spectators. People that want to be participants. They want to roll up their sleeves. They want to get engaged. They want to get involved. Servants. People who want to serve. He's not, he doesn't say he's going to pour it out on the big, the big, big guns. On the servants. Would you like to be a servant of God? And let God work through you? Let's stand together. 
We're going to sing this last worship song, and maybe you have some conversation you need to have with God Almighty.